happy Monday. You are listening to the Tar Devils Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network, where we talk Duke, UNC, ACC basketball. Welcome. My name is Tyler Rosieri, the always objective Duke fan in this duo, debating my good friend John Bowman. We are very excited for another episode, episode three of the Tar Devils podcast. It's been a fantastic week of basketball, lots of ranked matchups. John, how are you doing, my man? We have our first true buzzer beater of the season. It was against North Carolina, which is no bueno, but still, it was an exciting game. <laughs> UNC, Texas. Uh, and a last-second buzzer beater at the Maui Invitational that, of course, prevented UNC from winning the Maui Invitational title. But it was an awesome basketball game. And we also had a great week of Duke basketball. They fell to Michigan State, but it was an exciting game. Uh, they really tested themselves against that Michigan State squad. So a lot to talk about today as we get into it. Okay, John, so for this first segment, we're going to talk about the play of both Duke and UNC. John, in your opinion, through the first week and a half, who has been more impressive, Duke or UNC? So I have UNC being more impressive than Duke through this early part of the season, and it's for a simple reason for me. Uh, UNC has a better quality win than Duke does. It's pretty simple. Uh, for me in that respect. UNC beat a very good Stanford team, 67-63, last Tuesday as part of the Maui Invitational. That was a hard-fought game. Uh, Duke has not had a similar win of quality. They've only played three games so far this season, the Blue Devils have, and their best opponent so far, uh, Michigan State, they fell to the Michigan State Spartans by six there. That was also last Tuesday. So, That's a big uh, factor for me in making that determination. But also when you look at UNC's play, I've been very impressed by some of UNC's freshmen. I think Walker Kessler, Dayron Sharp, they've both had great starts to the season. I think that maybe UNC has had a more more impressive win so far, and they've also looked a little bit more impressive when looking at the eye test. What's your take, Tyler? Oh, I got to disagree with you. Uh, Stanford saying that's an impressive win. I mean, their record, they're one and two right now. Their only win coming against Alabama. So, I mean, it's tough three, four games in the season to pick who's been, uh, who's been the better team based on the most impressive win when you haven't played anyone yet. There's been one true test for each team, Texas, Michigan State, and Duke and UC each lost their game. So, I'd say both teams are 0-1 with that. But, Getting into the more minute details with each of the teams play, let's look at um, or review kind of UNC schedule. Play College of Charleston. They looked okay. I thought the big surprises was the play of Baycott um, as well as RJ and Dayron Sharp. He still shot 22% from three, and that game was close in the second half. So, you know, not too impressive overall. You played UNLV, another kind of team that you should beat by a lot. Baycott was very well, or he played very well in that game. He's been the one consistent player for you all through four games. Garrison Brooks, 5 of 13 from the field, 4 of 8 from the free throw line, 14 points. Garrison Brooks really hasn't had a good game, a complete game all season. Um, Other than that, RJ played well again with 16 points. He had one assist, though, and that's a theme 
through all four games that I think is being underlooked. Who would you say right now is your backup point guard? RJ, correct? So I only mentioned that because before you play Texas, as your backup point guard, RJ had a total of two assists, and then he had three against Texas. So through four games, your backup point guard has five assists on the season. And that is something that's not – everyone looks at him scoring the ball quite a bit, which is good, and, and he needs that, especially with the lack of talent from guard play from UNC. But if you're not going to have, you know, Caleb Love dishing out five, six assists a game and your backup point guard's giving you one assist a game, that's not going to bode well down the road. So then, you know, on the flip side, Duke, they didn't look great against um, Coppin State. Uh, I give you that. but. Some, one surprise there was the play of DJ Stewart going for 24 points. And then we played Michigan State right after, which I admit was also a bad game. But there were some good takeaways from that. Namely, I got on jo- Jordan Goldwire after game one. Jordan Goldwire made that made Michigan State a close game in the end. There was a point Duke was down 16 in the second half. Looked like they were about to lose by 20 to 30. Goldwire came back in, set the tone defensively and made it a, a close game in the end where, I mean, it was still six points, and it wasn't in doubt, but he made, he made Michigan State worry a little bit. And then you had um, the play of Jamin Brakefield from out of nowhere. He dropped 11 points that game off the bench in limited minutes. He repeated and played extremely well in Duke's last game against Bellarmeyer, Bellarmeyer and he went 4-4 four, four from three. Matthew Hurd went 4-6 from three. And so the positives I was taking away from Duke's play and the more consistent play from Hurt and Brakefield makes me believe that they had the better better week and a half of basketball than UNC. Yeah, I want to go back to the point you made about UNC's guard play. I think that's really interesting. The first thing we really have to remember is that running the point guard position in North Carolina's offense is very hard. UNC has a complex offense, I think it's fair to say, They have spacing issues, so some of the easy buckets that Caleb Love might have gotten in high school just attacking the rim, now he's running into a wall of basically big men and defenders. So the game's not going to come as easily to Caleb and RJ as it did in high school. And I think we're seeing some of those growing pains. Right now, Caleb Love has a turnover rate of 24.2, which is way too high for (laughs) point guard. UNC had turnover problems in every single game, basically, of the Maui Invitational. One interesting thing to watch going forward is who is more of that true point guard? Is it R.J. Davis and then Caleb Love can play the two and that sort of frees up Caleb to sort of be more of that scorer that he wants to be? Or is it a situation where Caleb will continue to develop over the course of the season? He'll continue to improve, learn the offense, learn how to make the easy passes into UNC's great plethora of big men and he'll continue to improve and grow from there. Because there has been some strong signs so far from R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. For example, R.J. Davis is shooting 46.2% from three-point land. That's really good. So it's a great start for him uh, shooting the basketball. And then I think Caleb Love also has a lot to build off of also. He's only shooting basically 16% from three. But I don't think that's going to hold up over the course of the season because he's shooting very well on free throws. We know that he's a good uh, shooter. So I think over the the course of the season, we're going to see a lot of growth from the North Carolina guards. 
And that's the reason why you play those early season tournaments. That's the reason why you challenge yourself in scheduling. Unlike what Duke has done from time to time, you challenge yourself in scheduling. You give yourself some good games, and you grow over the course of the year. <laughs> how how can you say Duke hasn't had a tougher schedule when they played a top-10 team and UNC hasn't? All I'm saying is this. From time to time, I would like to see Duke go on the road and play a true road game against a tough opponent. North Carolina is going to go this week, take a long plane ride to snowy Iowa. I don't think there's many North Carolina players who are excited about making a trip to Iowa, but they're going to do it and they're going to get better. They're going to learn a lot from themselves against a very good Iowa team. And we're going to get into that later on in the pod in the preview. But, uh, you know, I just want to see Duke challenge themselves a little bit. That Michigan game, State game was a good start, uh, but they do not play a road game until Wednesday, December 16th at Notre Dame. I think that's going to be a rude awakening, We even without the crowd, uh, for this Duke squad. Yeah, I'll just add this before we end the segment. Um, one, there's no true road game right now. You already mentioned they're glorified neutral court games. But also, I also don't think any UNC fan is happy about your team going up to Iowa for fear of what's going to happen next week. But only time will tell. That Iowa game also makes me reminisce about uh, the famous green green out at uh, the Dean Smith Center. You remember that, Tyler, when they all wore green shirts a couple of years ago in the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, when UNC came in and it was like environmental day, but it was really weird to see the entire Smith Center basically covered in green Carolina shirts. So bad, lots of bad memories with Iowa, just like there's lots of bad memories with UNC in Texas, as we saw this week, another chapter in the rivalry That's a perfect segue into our first guest of the podcast. We recorded an interview with Davis Dupree. Davis was on the ground at the Maui Invitational in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sure Davis wished he could have gone to Hawaii, but instead he was up in Asheville. Take a listen to this interview. Our first ever guest to the Tar Devils pod today. We're honored to have Davis Dupree here. Davis has worked in media relations for UNC. He's worked for media relations in Vill- for Villanova. And he also was at the Maui Invitational in Asheville last week. So we're here to talk with Davis about the tournament, about everything that went on last week, what college basketball is like in the year 2020. Davis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be the uh, the first guest of the Tar Devils pod. Big stuff. That's right. Tyler, uh, do you want to jump in with the first question? Yeah, Davis, uh, just for our listeners, you want to go ahead and explain exactly where you were during the tournament and what you were doing and um, what you saw in terms of the fan, the lack of fan base and how that affected the teams throughout the week? Yeah, so I think what the NCAA is going to be doing for most of this year is dividing these games in what I guess they're calling bubbles is like tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is essentially the players, the team personnel, and anybody that's going to be in close contact with those players. And they're all kept in in that tight bubble, COVID tested on a daily basis before entering the building. And um, just that 
kind of stricter um, supervision over all of the players. So then I was there along with most of the other like print media, digital media, and some of the national media members that were there upstairs as part of tier three. So we entered the building from a separate entrance, weren't COVID tested each day, but had to pass like a questionnaire and then a temperature screening on the way in. And then we stayed upstairs in a media room um, a little bit away from the court and then were allowed into the main seating bowl during the games but sitting in the upper level very spread out they for maybe the 30 media members that were there they gave us about three sections to spread everybody out so nobody had to sit much more than six or seven seats between anybody so it was i think that's how the ncaa plans on doing it for most of the year at these bubbled kind of events and it seemed to work really well being there for three days i never once felt that i was like too close to anybody you're in any kind of um like any any kind of danger of catching covid while i was in there gotcha so just from your experience and in, in watching the games from uh you know the third tier what is your take on how big of a role an active bench is going to be for each team um for each game to get you know kind of that energy that we're missing from having the fans there it's going to be huge. That's some of the only sound um, that's in the arena. So that is all the momentum. Normally, you you can tell normally when fans would like stand up and cheer, they know their team needs a big stop coming up. The only way, place that comes from now is from the benches. And you see them standing and kind of creeping toward the court, just trying to cheer on the five guys that are out there. It's really weird. Um, the Maui Invitational was p piping in a little extra crowd noise from speakers throughout it, which added a little bit of the atmosphere, but it kind of went both ways. Anytime somebody scored, they would turn it up for, for like cheering. There was, there was no booing. There was no negative crowd noise, really. So your, your own momentum is going to have to come from your bench. So I do think that's going to be something huge to look at the rest of the year. Davis, you watched a lot of basketball over the course of the week. We're going to talk about UNC later on, but from the Maui Invitational as a whole, which players, which teams stood out to? Did anybody catch your eye? Um, I believe his name was Trace Jackson Davis um, for Indiana. That dude could play in their third place game. I think he went for 31 and just was having a he were He was getting buckets down low. He was knocking down jumpers. He was just a handful. Um, and I'm surprised by a kid from UNLV named Caleb Grill that was lighting it up from three in one of their games. I think he finished with 27 and had six made threes. Um, it, and it's just cool because those are guys that in an event like this, I hadn't really heard of prior to the season. Wasn't I, I wasn't reading the preseason scouting reports on UNLV basketball. So it's cool to just watch the games and kind of see who does catch your eye, um, which was which is great when you're in an event with eight teams like this. Absolutely. UNC also played three games. Um, being in the arena, I'm sure it was a uh, unique experience watching, getting, you know, one of the only opportunities so far of people to actually be able to watch UNC in a live environment. What stood out to you from the three days of games that UNC played? Did you hear anything sort of special or unique from Roy Williams, uh, if you had the ability to listen in on any of that in the empty arena, or what else stood out to you? So it was hard to hear, which I was a little disappointed from, just one, from how far away they had to sit, and two, um, 
from the piped-in crowd noise, but even through his mask, I could hear him yell box out um, at a few of the freshmen a couple times, which is obviously a, a calling card for these Carolina teams. They always just, they always hit the boards hard, and with these freshmen still trying to learn that, it was funny to hear him from so far away through a mask still hammering home that same point. Um, and I I was really impressed with the some of the older guys because this is such a young team watching them pull the freshmen aside at dead balls and really coaching them up on the court. Um, Andrew Playtech was actually one that did a really good job of that. Just about, just at about every dead ball when he was on the court with the freshmen, he had some sort of coaching point for each one of them, which I really enjoyed watching. And because he's one of those guys, he's a, he's a polarizing figure on UNC Twitter. Um, A lot of people don't seem to love him getting the minutes he does, but even if he's not filling up the stat sheet, I think he, I think he's a really important piece to this team just for the experience that he brings. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. I remember um, back when we were both at UNC Davis, that was something that Kenny Williams would do a lot. That was sort of one of his roles. I can remember Kenny pulling aside Nasir Little after you know Little had taken a bad three pointer or something, and you sort of are an extension of the coaching staff in that respect. You are there to not necessarily yell at a freshman, but you're sort of putting him in his place a little bit and saying, hey, this is how we do things here at North Carolina. And there's a huge learning curve when it comes to guards at North Carolina. So I think that that's really, I hadn't heard that before about Playtech. I think that's really an interesting role that he can play. Whether or not he's having an on-court impact this season, he can be that off-the-court guy um, no matter what. That's a great segue uh, to talk as well a little bit about UNC's uh, entire freshman group. This was, I think, a big week for those group of freshmen. Dayron Sharp, Walker Kessler, Caleb Love, all those guys, they got a big opportunity to play against some great opponents. Um, Which of UNC's freshmen maybe stood out to you the most, Davis, or which caught your eye the most in uh, the Maui Invitational Week? I think it's got to be Dayron Sharp. I mean, the guy was putting up numbers in every single statistical category, and even in games where you could tell he was struggling a little more to score the ball, He's always going to be um, a force on the glass and really does look like he has a good good like court awareness about him. He seems to know when he needs to box out, um, is always looking to pass the ball too from the low post. He, he threw a couple of really good high-low passes. I think that's um, a real luxury to have out of a big man, so I'm excited to watch him. And really underrated because obviously he doesn't play a ton of minutes, didn't get a ton of stats, but... From what I saw, Kerwin Walton really looks like he can shoot the ball if he can get a little bit of confidence about him. He he does put a little funny side spin on it, but he he hit a couple threes while we were there. And the, the bigger learning moment that I saw from him was he passed up an open three. But when he caught it in space, the whole bench stood up like like hands in the air ready to ready to drain a three, and then they looked all visibly upset when he passed the ball, and then right after that, Leakey and Roy pulled him aside separately, seemingly to say, hey, you got to shoot the ball. So if we can find some confidence in Kerwin, I think he could be our most lethal three-point shooter. Davis, being in media relations, I'm um, just curious, did you see um, the post-game comments from Greg Brown and his dad? He's one of the forwards for the uh, – Texas Longhorns played a very good tournament. Did you see what he said at all? I knew there was a little bit of history there. I didn't catch his 
post-game comments following this past week, but I knew there was some history there with him saying that if Carolina had, quote, recruited correctly or whatever it was, that he almost certainly would have been there. But no, I didn't catch this past week. It's just interesting. I've seen a lot of players and family members um, in the recent years talk more about their recruiting experiences out of high school. And uh, Greg Brown was someone that loved UNC, and he, he said that Coach Roy did not recruit him very hard at all, and his dad was very upset about it and mentioned that possibly Kay Cunningham would have come with Greg Brown to UNC, which um, for those of you who don't know, Kay Cunningham is one of the top uh, freshman players at Oklahoma State right now. And, you know, I, I when I heard that, I just thought, it, you know, back to Coach K, how he, Caleb Love wanted to go to Duke, but Coach K recruited Jeremy Roach instead. And then Caleb Love said, okay, well, I'll go to UNC then. And it's just an interesting dynamic because if you look between Jeremy Roach and Caleb Love, right now it looks like Caleb Love is probably more ready to lead a team, especially in the ACC. And Jeremy Roach is going to need some um, another year to grow or so. So just an interesting dynamic between um, and some more insight into uh, how these players feel they're being recruited. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a huge part of the game. And you can look at Carolina's team right now with those four big men that we do have. And I don't know who Greg Brown might have replaced should we have recruited him harder. But you it, you have to think that he would have helped because, as we saw in the Texas-Carolina game, he can stretch the floor. I think he hit three threes in that one. So it's it would be interesting and maybe another... Uh, another wrinkle to the offense if Greg Brown was was a Tar Heel instead of a Longhorn this year. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into our last topic for this interview. I'm really interested to hear about the UNC-Texas game specifically. Uh, Davis, what's it like to watch a game-winning buzzer beater and basically hear silence? It's weird. Because um, normally, you I guess it feels like if you're if you're watching... A Carolina maybe lose on a buzzer beater in the Dean Dome because it's really quiet except for maybe the 15 Texas players running onto the court. Um, it's it's definitely weird though because normally you'd at least look around you'd see you'd see a lot of surrender cobras and people that are just disappointed in the outcome. But at this one, it's just the players and they handle it the way they're going to. Um, even the losing team they just kind of shrug it off, shake hands, head back to the locker room, and the media just stands up and goes about their their business so it's definitely weird but the closest thing I could equate it to is just losing at home on a buzzer beater because the only sound in the arena is coming from the winning team which which is weird but it's I guess that's almost the most normal thing about playing in a bubble yeah I think that too like we all watched the NBA this summer and we saw you know Luca's shot or we kind of almost have gotten a little bit conditioned to it Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing for me was seeing the Smith Center with all those empty seats. And I think as we go along this season, all these big shots and there's just sort of you can hear a pin drop afterwards. I think it's going to be something really interesting to monitor. Um, But yeah, Davis, we are so glad to have had you on today. You have a distinct honor of being the first guest on the podcast, which, of course, uh, is probably among your highest honors, uh, of course, of all time. And I want to make sure I mention, too, this group of three right here will take on us three. We'll take on any other group of podcasters in a game of pickup. I think uh, with Tyler running the show, I can uh, play defense. Davis, you can shoot the ball. We'll, uh, we'll 
take anybody else on. So Davis, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Davis. Thanks We're back with our next segment. We're going to talk a little bit about potential for UNC and Duke, looking ahead a little bit, not only towards the rest of the non-conference slate, but the rest of ACC play and more moving forward. Tyler, who do you think has more potential, UNC or Duke? In a bit of a surprise, John, I'm going to actually pick UNC for greater potential this year. I'm looking at, one, the growth through the first week and a half of games for both Duke and UNC. And at, with things that can be fixed this year, when I look at Duke, I can't see them getting past the Sweet 16, even maxing out the growth throughout this year. UNC, I think maybe could sneak into an Elite Eight. They probably definitely wouldn't win. But based on matchups and with their size and athleticism, the tournament's always about matchups. So I think with the right draw, they could sneak into Elite Eight, having maxed out their potential this year. So with Duke, obviously Matthew Hurt has had a great week, shot very well, 6 of 8 from three-point line in his last game. DJ Stewart shot very well in the first game, hasn't shot so well lately, but we know DJ Stewart is a good shooter. Joey Baker, we know is a good shooter, has not shot well this year. But with those three shooting well, and you have other guys to spot up, like a Jordan Goldwire, if he can knock those shots down, a Jamin Brakefield, if he can knock his open shots down, then at least Duke can be a good threat from the outside, which they need because the shock to me has been the lack of interior play from Duke. Mark Williams, Henry Coleman, Brakefield, to Patrick Tepay, they really didn't play in the first two games, and then they got some minutes in this last game, in the third game of the season. Patrick Tepay, unfortunately, does not look ready to play ACC basketball. He's very slow and, to me, looked kind of weak with the ball. So I don't expect him to get minutes. Kind of, you know, kind of justified why he didn't play against Michigan State. Henry Coleman's the same way, except Henry Coleman's a freshman, so he'll be a bit of a project. A lot of potential with Coleman, but he won't be very good this year. Brakefield, I think, played very well, and his minutes are only going to increase. And Mark Williams played well on defense with four blocks in this last game. The issue is none of them you can feed the ball down to to say go get a bucket and work high-low. Now, if that happens, you don't have any interior play, Duke's going to have to rely on the guards. There's only two guards that Duke has that can penetrate and have the size to finish. That's Wendell Moore and Jalen Johnson. Problem with them is they neither of them can shoot. So then if your two guards that are supposed to be your playmakers on the team can't shoot, then your, your offense is going to be very stagnant. It's going to be a lot of iso ball. I don't see those problems being fixed throughout the year. I think Coach K has already done a great job of introducing a lot more motion into the offense, and that's going to help Duke tremendously because against Michigan State, the amount of isolation ball was extremely worrisome. But I just can't see this team with that lack of interior play and the lack of guards that can create from the outside, which you would need. I just don't see them going past the Sweet 16, even maximizing their potential. With UNC, they can go far because they can work an inside-out game. And not very many teams can match the number of bigs and athleticism that UNC has. When you couple that with Caleb Love and RJ, who Caleb Love hasn't shot well, I don't see him really getting his three-point percentage over 30% this year, which could be a problem, but RJ is a very good shooter. And you already know Kerwin Walton 
and Puff Johnson can make the open shot. But it's really the commitment of Caleb Love on defense and other guards on defense, which I think is going to help this team. So at best, UNC can maybe sneak into Elite Eight, but I just don't see any way Duke can get there. That's interesting, Tyler. I, in many ways, disagree with that a little bit. I think that UNC is a very good team, but I wonder about UNC's ceiling when it comes into March. Uh, depending on the matchup, I think UNC could struggle. So I think that that could limit their potential when it comes to March. But when you look at this Duke team, they have a ton of potential because they have a lot of freshmen in key roles who are only going to continue to keep growing. Plus, I think you have to look at the play of Matthew Hurt so far. Uh, to a lesser extent, Wendell Moore, I need to see more from him. Um, but Matthew Hurt especially, I think he's going to provide that veteran presence that this Duke team needs. Matthew Hurt has been, uh, honestly, an elite offensive player so far this season. His offensive rating is 134.2, according to penpalm.com. That's up there. Uh, in terms of ACC leaders. So that's great to see from him. He's gotten off to a really hot start this season. And I think it, when you look at Jalen Johnson and DJ Stewart as well, both of those two freshmen are very talented. I think they're only going to go get better as the season goes along. So I actually have Duke with higher potential. Um, but, you know, it's a long season, and I think that we've already seen there's going to be scheduling challenges. We missed out on a great game yesterday with Baylor Gonzaga. That would have been really exciting to watch. So potential, uh, each team's going to have a lot of potential, but as the season goes along and we see how injuries and how the schedule shakes out, I think that's where it's going to be really interesting to see who actually lives up to the potential and who doesn't. Yeah, so as against Michigan State, look at Jalen Johnson. He was in foul trouble, but he didn't have a good game. So it makes me question about his effectiveness when Duke plays a team that can match his athleticism and match his size because all his life he's been able to rely on his athleticism and that's what happened in game one when he had 19 points 19 rebounds he was just flat out bigger than everyone could just jump over them get all the rebounds just get putbacks be right over the top of them so going forward it'll be interesting to see you know his skill set and how he adjusts to playing against other players that can match his athleticism um, and then also, DJ Stewart did not play a great game against Michigan State. I believe he was 0 of 6 from three-point line, which previously he was 4 of 9 in, in game one. So definitely want to see more consistency from DJ. But big shout-out to him for having one of the posters of the year already. If you didn't see it, go look up DJ Stewart. Um, one of the dunk of the year so far, in my opinion. But the biggest – I think the biggest – a key freshman is Jeremy Roach and the expectations that we had for him coming into this season. He is someone that I think has a very good, good looking shot. He makes it, he can score all three levels, but for some reason he is not being the score. He's not even shooting the ball very much in each game. And that's something Duke is going to need. And I don't think he will, he's going to change that this year. I think that's a sophomore or junior year player that can be the guy, but as a freshman, he does not seem to be that, that type of that type of dude yet. That's a good point. And on the topic of potential, I want to make sure I mention Anthony Harris's name. We have not seen Anthony Harris yet 
in a Tar Heel uniform this season, but he has the potential to change the trajectory of this UNC team. He could be the missing piece on the wing, uh, especially his shooting and his ability to drive the basketball. I think if we can see Anthony Harrison, you know, make sure that he's healthy, that he's looking good, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Um, but if he comes back, he's someone who really could change the potential of this UNC team and sort of elevate their ceiling and elevate what I think they could ultimately accomplish in March. That's another interesting player. Uh, I think Roach has a lot of growing to do uh, over the course of the season. Um, but also, I want to see Anthony Harris. I want to see what he can do uh, as he sort of comes back from that injury. Yeah, building on UNC potential, I think it's important to note how the UNC bigs are going to grow and handle the double teams that they see. Very early on, especially against UNLV, Dayron Sharp, uh, Kessler, even Brooks, and Baycott too, kind of all your bigs, struggled with a quick double team. They're very indecisive on if they needed to pass out of it or make a quick move to go to the bucket. They ended up with it. A lot of times they ended up just dribbling out to the three-point line to make a pass. I think that's something that UNC is going to see a lot of, and especially if you play a team like Virginia. If by that time UNC hasn't figured out or their bigs have not figured out how to play against a quick double team down low and how to best exploit that, UNC could struggle. But I think having seen that so early, getting early experience with that, Darren Sharp's only going to get better seeing that and exploiting it. Same with Kessler, same with the other experienced bigs you have. So. I do think that is something very fixable for this UNC team. Yeah, and Sharp has flashed some ability as a passer. I think big-to-big passing is Sharp's early strength. Um, He's sort of connected with a couple of UNC's other big men for easy baskets. But when you're faced with a double team and you have to kick it out to shooters, that's a whole different animal passing the ball. And it will help, too, when UNC has more shooting on the floor when instead of playing Andrew Playtech, who's not as strong of a three-point shooter, when you have Kerwin Walton in that spot, or when you have Anthony Harris on the wing instead of Leaky Black, I think that will make some of those passes easier because all of a sudden there's more space, so it's harder to double, and it makes the defense have a lot tougher choices on that. But that is a good point. UNC's big men have struggled with turnovers early on this season. Baycott, his turnover rate is 26.8. Uh, Dayron Sharp's turnover rate is 28.1, so all of those turnover rates way too high. Um, I think that's something to monitor for sure, for sure for UNC moving forward. Yeah, and let's let's uh, look at what happened with the rest of the ACC this last week. Virginia Tech ranked now 16, one again, they're undefeated. UVA pulled out a very close game against Kent State in overtime. Uh, when it mattered most. They relied on their defense in typical UVA fashion, but still winning ugly, something I think they're going to have to do um, much of the season. And then last big shout-out to Coach Wojo and Marquette taking down number four Wisconsin. We always like to see the former Duke Blue Devil and the former assistant coach at Duke do well, so shout-out to Wojo. And then coming up Tuesday, a very big night in college basketball. First, UNC plays Iowa, and following that, Duke plays Illinois. Illinois is someone I think is an elite team um, in basketball right now. Uh, We're going to pick both of these games. Congrats to John. Last week he was spot on, Michigan State beating Duke. They really showed their veteran leadership in that game, and Duke looked very young. Uh, John, 
who do you pick this week between Duke, or Iowa, UNC, and then Duke, Illinois? Yeah, so I, in the Iowa-UNC game, first of all, it's going to be a very tight game. Iowa's a very good ball club, and it is on the road in that road but semi-neutral environment. I think that there's no home court advantage when you're playing on the road, but there is a downside when you have to make all that trip and all the stress of making that plane ride in the COVID era. I think that's still going to hurt UNC. Nevertheless, I'm picking the Tar Heels on Tuesday night against Iowa. I think North Carolina plays a much more clean game than they showed over the Maui Invitational. I think there's less turnovers, and I think the offense clicks a little bit more. Um, Roy Williams' favorite saying is, everything looks better when the ball goes in the basket. I think UNC is going to have a much better shooting day as they cut down on the turnovers and they rely on their offensive rebounding for extra looks. I think they can have a better offensive day. In the Duke game, I think that Duke is also going to bounce back. So I'm picking the Blue Devils over Illinois. Um, I think that Duke is a very good ball club, and I don't think Illinois has sort of the talent to match up with them. And it's also a home game for Duke, which helps out a little bit. I can't see Coach K dropping two, basically two straight games um, against quality opponents. So I'm picking the Blue Devils in that one. Tyler, what are your thoughts? For Iowa UNC, the key is going to be stopping Luca Garza. UNC is well equipped with that, with having four big men. One thing to be able to throw a lot of bodies at him, but I think the bigger emphasis is they can be aggressive with Luca. You have 20 fouls to split between your big bigs, and I think getting physical with him is going to be a key. Nevertheless, he is way better than any of the bigs that UNC has. If you can't stop him, you can't stop Iowa, so I'm going to choose Iowa to, to roll over UNC. For Duke, Illinois, I wholeheartedly disagree that Illinois does not have the talent to match with Duke. I don't know if you watched the Baylor-Illinois game, but that was very back and forth all game. Baylor pulled away late, but those are two potential Final Four teams, in my opinion, along with Gonzaga and in Iowa. So the lines are not out yet when we are recording this podcast, but I would assume Duke is going to go in the under go in as the underdog. There is a very famous saying, Duke is never the underdog, but in this case I think it's justified. Illinois can score at all five positions. They have grown men underneath. Duke does not. And I just don't think Mark Williams, even though I believe he will play a lot, he's not going to be able to match up with the big men of Illinois. And our guards are not going to be able to keep up with the quickness of Illinois' guards. So i got to go with the heavy favorites with Iowa and also Illinois. Two disagreements there. So we're really going to – someone's going to pull apart in the standings here. I, I, look, I look to bounce back and be 2-1 and one going into episode four. And we will talk about it next week when that happens. We'll review all the games from this week's action and more. Thanks for listening this week to the podcast. Tyler, I'll let you take it out. We are now on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to check us out either on there at Tar Devils Podcast and leave a rating and a review. Or, as always, you can uh, listen to us on Spotify. Be sure to tweet at us at uh, Tar Devils Podcast on Twitter. If there is a certain player or a topic you'd like us to discuss, uh, just tweet at us and we'll try to work it into our next show. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you.